0: Robin Williams graduated high school most funny and least likely to succeed. He studied improv, trained at Juilliard, and even performed as a street mime before exploding onto the stand-up comedy scene in the late 1970s. The rest is history. He would go on to conquer Hollywood and become one of the most beloved entertainers of all time. When news of his suicide made the rounds on August 11th, 2014, the world stopped. Fans were absolutely stunned. How could a guy who made so many people laugh just kill himself? It's a question with no simple answer. So join us as we take a deep dive into the life and career of the one and only Robin Williams. That's today on Death in Entertainment.
1: From Los Angeles. 911. What is your emergency?
2: Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury,
0: and death.
1: Oh my God! Shocking new details that has
2: stunned the entertainment world.
0: Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. <gasps>
2: what do you call this thing, anyway? Death, death in entertainment.
1: Hello, Dedo What's going on,
2: dude? How you doing?
0: Hi. What's up, guys? My name is Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Mulcairn. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And you
1: have come back or stumbled upon for the first time another episode of Death in Entertainment. Welcome. Yes, welcome.
0: Disclaimer. We make jokes.
1: Yeah. If you don't think some of the best laughs you could have are at a funeral, get out of here. Yeah.
2: (laughs) See your way out the funeral (laughs) door, because you're out of here, buddy. Yeah, you're gone. Peace.
1: Um, yeah, we are uh kicking into a very sad episode today, Mr. Robin Williams. Oh, yeah.
2: I remember doing stand-up comedy in LA uh while that happened and it was just like it just like ruined the town. Yeah. Because I remember I was doing like a lot of open mic circuit stuff, and like everyone was just kind of feeling it, but they were still going through the motions and yeah. stuff.
1: I was in New York City. My sister actually graduated college that week, and I just remember everybody. You would like the cab driver would talk about it. The cashier at the store would be talking about it. Yeah. Every single
0: person. Yeah.
2: I think that was a big one that that hit a lot of people. Yeah. I think it was just so
0: out of, out of the blue. It definitely hit the world. People felt like they lost a loved one. Yeah. And were freaked out. Yeah. Like, take care of your issues. That yeah. is a
1: big reaction, especially with, um, spoiler alert, suicides. Um, yeah. A lot of people get upset with the person who did it, not knowing necessarily why they did it.
0: Yeah. Spoiler alert again, <laughs> I don't think Robin Williams committed suicide.
2: Oh, my God. This, this is a fucking crazy thing to start this off. With. <laughs> <laughs> Alejandro, you're coming out fucking fucking hot.
0: Guns blazing. Guns
2: blazing right now.
0: Wow. I am shocked, to be honest. That being said, get your Kleenex ready. Grab a loved one, because today it's going to be a love letter to Robin Williams. And also a warts and all portrait of the man and what led to that dark day in 2014. Yeah, 2014. So let's do it. Let's go all the way back to August
1: 11th, 2014. Let's go. All right. We got the pop culture flash. August 11th, 2014. Mark, do you know what was going on in the world of film, sir?
2: All right, the uh the movie situation right now, number three on the charts or the box office, if you will, is uh Into the Storm.
0: I don't remember that one. Yeah, I looked it up on IMDb. Still don't remember it.
2: Was it a, wow. I fe- It feels like a Robert Redford movie
0: no movie. No, no that's totally. A Total unknowns, except I saw Matt Walsh in the cast list.
2: The guy from UCB? Yeah. The red hair guy? <laughs>
0: but it's not a comedy. What? It's about storm chasers.
2: How did it get to number three? That, I that, have no that, idea. That it, says something, I guess, about the other movies that are out this time.
0: It's <laughs> like those Kirk Cameron movies that somehow get on the list You're sometimes. you it's, it's a
2: Christ movie or something? It seems like it. <laughs> I mean, how else would it get on the list?
0: <laughs> I hate Kirk Cameron.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? I know um either way okay that was number three number two guardians of
0: the galaxy with chris pratt volume one and this had been out for a while by this point oh
1: that's why i was like i'm surprised that it's number two because i cleaned up but number one i could see i guess why it would be number one at least for a short time
2: okay well let's get right into it because kyle just mentioned it number one michael bay's teenage mutant ninja turtles
1: yes with toe thumbs mcgee Aka Megan Fox
0: as April O'Neil. Oh, why do you call?
2: Why do you call her toe thumbs, McGee? She's got toe thumbs. Oh, okay,
0: all right. Well, that's pretty uh, straightforward. So yeah. that's enough for you, where you wouldn't pursue her. No, yeah. Oh, get the fuck out of here! No.
1: You have to wear like gloves or something, dude.
2: I'd puke. You're an insane person. <laughs> <laughs> you just figuring that He's, out? I'm puking now from that. <laughs> um, yeah, the rest of
1: her is amazing. I'll admit that, but oh, the toe thumbs. Situation.
2: The toe thumb. Yeah, I for me it was that she was married to that creep from Nine Hundred Two and Zero, uh, Brian Austin Green. That's oh that, really. That's the the problem I have. Is that the her. blonde one? No, in the no, no, one? no, no. That's
0: Ian Ziering.
2: No, you're thinking um. of Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> 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 Who you're trying to look like now? Yeah, that that's your way to get into Megan Fox's Look like Machine Gun Kelly. I true. Think. Yeah, yeah that's is your, true. You want to get that toe thumb in your
0: mouth for reals. That's how big 90210 was. Wait, what was that sound effect? Oh my God. That's the the geekiest guy on that show got the hottest chick in the world. Yeah. Megan Fox. Oh, one of them. Yeah. Well, one of them. From the the wrists up. Well,
2: I think it (laughs) was. (laughs) Oh my God. Well, he got Donna on 90210. So I guess it was, you know, kind of a come up from that. Donna, do you
0: wanna? Donna was who again?
2: Donna was the, the blonde friend who was actually... Her father was the executive producer... Of the entire show, well,
0: you mean Tori Spelling? Tori Spelling, yeah. What, you're talking about Tori Spelling, like we but, would know her better as Donna. I only yeah. know her. I only know her as the character. I don't know her in real. Life. I only
1: know her as Tori Spelling. <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: She is incapable of not being Tori Spelling. Okay, I watched the show. Why don't you fucking
2: get off my back? Why don't
0: we uh, <laughs> move on to the music? Yeah,
2: before we get out of hand here.
1: In the world of music, number three on the charts: Iggy Azalea featuring Charlie XCX. Fancy. This is one of those. I'm
0: so fancy. What are you talking about? You already know. Yeah, I remember that now. From something to Tokyo. Yes. Number two, Sam Smith. Stay with me. The song he plagiarized from Tom Petty.
1: Oh, didn't he get sued? Yeah. Yes. And if
0: you look it up now, the song, Tom Petty is the co-writer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: he's really enjoying those royalties yeah. now that he's dead. God. I bet.
2: Yeah. People that made uh songs like thirty years ago are now getting money. Like yeah. uh, like that uh Stranger Things coming up that hill, K. Bush. Like people oh, are yeah. just like getting paid yeah. for things they did back in the days.
1: Yep. Number one magic exclamation point by Rude. No.
0: Oh, other wait, way sorry. Around. The other
1: way around. <laughs> this is how much I don't know this song. Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: Or any of these songs. Rude by magic exclamation point. A Hard Day's Night. You know that <laughs> band that sang that song, The Beatles? Yeah. It's a joke. Anyway, it didn't, <laughs> it, it didn't land. And? <laughs> um, do you know this song? Yeah, it's like a reggae-tinged pop song. Like, why'd you have to be so rude? Oh, oh okay. yeah, I know that one. Don't you know I'm human, too? Yeah, it's catchy. Yeah. You know. It's reggae! Right.
1: Booyah! Magic! Big up!
0: <laughs> rude. We got uh, Tom Hanks on. Chet, Chet Hayes. Yeah. Chet <laughs> Hayes in the house. It's about to be an island boy, white boy summer. Lord
1: of
2: <laughs>
0: Y'all, I'm just feeling it. It's going to be a white boy summer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, plus, we have an extra note here. Another example of famous people dying in threes. On August 11, 2014, we had Robin Williams, Lauren Bacall, and Kika Szydło. Excuse
2: me? Who was that, that last one?
1: Uh, a Polish blogger. I think this is a tongue in cheek.
2: Wow, that's a, that's a real stretch <laughs> note for famous here. people. <laughs> <laughs> I remember always like the dumbest, like, you know, cab driver in Boston be like, yeah, they always die in threes, but you don't like, you just, they stop counting. That's just a thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, we needed the rain or something like yeah. that. That's another dumb saying.
0: And Lauren Bacall actually died on August 12th. But oh wow So okay. none of this so is really, correct You
2: really stretch that This
0: is yeah. really <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is a joke You have to read <laughs> You know who
0: would have Appreciated that joke Robin, uh, Lauren Bacall Robin Williams <laughs> <laughs> Robin McLaurin Williams was born in Chicago on July 21st, 1951, and he was raised as an only child. That makes sense, right? Yeah. I could see that. Yeah,
2: because any other brother or sister
0: would have enough of him pulling that attention all the time. Yeah.
2: I assume he was riffing like right out of the, uh, in out the of womb. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the womb.
0: <laughs> His father, Rob Williams, was a senior executive at Ford Motor Company. He was a hotshot executive. Made lots of money. Wow! And his mom, Lori McLaurin, that's where he got the middle name. Okay, makes it, sense. It was his mom's maiden name. Sure. Uh, uh, she was a former model from Jackson, Mississippi, <laughs> with a very aristocratic background. Listen to this: her great grandfather was a captain in the Confederate Army during the Civil War, hey. and then he later became the governor of Mississippi. What? Yeah. Wow. Robin Williams actually had two older half-brothers. They weren't in the house when he was growing up. From the dad side? Both sides. What? Yeah. They're like a Brady Bunch family. Todd was on the paternal side, and then McLaurin, the guy's first name is McLaurin, he's on the maternal side. Yeah. Because Rob had Todd with his first wife. Wow, this is like uh, the Bible here. Todd would go on to um, live with his ex wife, Rob's ex wife, in Kentucky after they separated. (laughs) So that's why he wasn't around when Robin was in the picture.
2: Yeah, this is like the Carradine family. They're like everyone's mixing and moving around and like, (laughs) yeah, it's
0: all over the place. And then McLaurin, the other brother, he almost died of pneumonia in infancy. So he was sent to live with his grandmother in Alabama.
2: Is that where you go to get better from uh, pneumonia? Hey, you almost
0: died. Get out of here.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're sending you to Alabama. Probably the worst health outcomes in the entire country. Literally. The baby was like, (laughs) no. (laughs) Yeah, on the train as it's leaving, the baby's like, no.
0: And McLaurin didn't find out that Lori was his real mom until he was a teenager. And that's also when he found out that he had two half brothers. Wow. Same with Robin. Robin knew about Todd, but he didn't know about McLaurin yet. Wow.
2: They don't tell anyone, any of these kids, like what's going on. Like the entire family lineage is all over the place.
0: (laughs) And throughout his life, but especially in childhood, Robin was somewhat cryptic about this issue. He would tell people at school that he was an only child and never mentioned that he had half-brothers. Why would you? You know, kids are just going to use it against you. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I don't know no one. I haven't seen no one. Yeah,
2: I I (laughs) I don't don't have
0: have no parents either. I was in the bathroom. (laughs) I was in the bathroom the whole time. (laughs) And his family, uh, well, his family had split religions, but he was primarily raised Episcopalian though they weren't observant. This is getting weirder and weirder. And you know what his mom practiced? Christian science. Oh, Oh, that's the bad one. Speaking of bad bad.
2: health outcomes. Yeah, they're not
1: very
0: scientific. (laughs) No. They don't don't believe in medicine or anything. No, but you want to hear some hypocrisy. Later on, she got plastic surgery. Oh, my God.
2: But so, she believed in elective uh, uh, yeah, medical elect- surgery. Elective surgery. <laughs> right.
0: Just not necessary yeah. life-saving yeah. surgery. For
2: your kids or any your extended <laughs> families or anything. Let them die. But I need a nicer nose, okay? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Robin grew up in Lake Forest, Illinois, which is outside Chicago. And Robin's dad, Rob, was transferred to Detroit in 1963. So remember, he's with the Ford Motor Company. Yeah. And this is when Robin was 12. So that's an awkward age to just have to pack up and move to a whole new school. Yeah. Sure. His friends recall that he just suddenly disappeared. Poof. Suddenly Robin's gone. Ploof. There was <laughs> Nice.
2: There, there was <laughs> no, like, goodbye or anything. Nope. Like, you know, no cake. Uh, See you later, nope. Robin. Just like, one day you're in school, one day you're fucking gone. Yep. I've done that before. Really? Just yep. peaced out? No. You just ghosted your entire uh, friend group? I went to one,
1: two, three, four, six different schools by the time I was in eighth grade. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's insane. Yeah. I feel like the
2: problem was you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wasn't the schools. No. Unlike Goodwill hunting, it is your fault.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that eventually. We will. We will.
0: Yeah. So Robin lived with his family in a gigantic farmhouse. In the affluent suburb of Bloomfield Hills, which is outside Detroit. And their estate had a gatehouse, gardens, barns, and a huge garage. It had more than forty rooms, but most of them were unoccupied. Forty rooms. Wow. And this place was nicknamed like Stonycroft. Okay. I mean you know you're rich with your name. house has a nickname. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a compound. <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: a, the branch Davidians here. <laughs>
0: Kids from school would see where he lived and be like, wow, you live here? Yeah. You know, Robin got along with the other kids, but he was shy because he was always the new kid in school. Yeah. And so at this farmhouse in Bloomfield Hills, he would spend hours in the attic playing with a battalion of thousands of metal toy soldiers. Oh, boy. And he would do all the voices and act battles, and this became a lifelong interest for him. He would, into adulthood, he would collect these toy soldiers. Really? Yeah. Mm. It pretty much formed his personality in some ways, because yeah. he's doing bits with these soldiers, essentially. Yeah. And they were his friends.
2: Kind of scary, but still, I could see how that led to his...
0: uh entertainment career. He's living in an isolated place.
2: Well, he, I don't want to get ahead of it, but he did do that movie Toys later on in which he did. He, yeah. th- which he is playing amongst
0: toys and stuff. And here's another interesting thing. He was raised primarily by a black nurse named Susie.
2: Susie. Yeah, and
0: she was real, you know, was there for everything.
2: Cuz the parents were long gone. Dad was working and stuff and oh, mom yeah. was
0: like doing who the fuck knows. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: she was looking for that new husband i'm sure
0: no she was happy with rob oh but... she was okay but you know how rich people are yeah it was just what they did yeah you just hire help to, yeah. to
2: raise your kids basically and you
0: send your other kid to alabama <laughs> yeah <laughs> robin would always try to make his mom laugh and Lori, his mom was actually very funny herself She would do these sight gags where she, like, pretended to sneeze and would have a rubber band in her hand so it looked like snot Hmm. when she released it. Nice. And she would tell Robin she had this book by a 19th century princess about all the parties that she threw through the years. And the title was Balls I Have Held. Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And then she would read Robin's strange poems. One of them was I Love You in Blue, I Love You in Red. But most of all, I love you in blue. Nice. (laughs) Wordplay there with the uh, book. And she was a social (laughs) butterfly. She never met a stranger. And so she, you know, inspired Robin to... Be social as well, yeah. Yeah, even though it was
2: it wasn't in his nature. He uh, she tried to get him to get out there and you know be a normal person, kind yeah. of, yeah, and not play with the robots up in the attic all the time. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it is like speaking as a kid who went to a bunch of different schools. It's very tough to constantly be in a new situation and like be outgoing. Yeah, it was. I was like a super super shy kid.
2: Yeah, I, I had similar thing. I, I think I, I went to a new school when I was like. Uh, I want to say 12 also. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a weird time to just shift and, like, you just feel like everything has changed and you're like, you don't feel like you're part of the foundation of whatever that town is or yeah. whatever that scene is. Something was going on before. Right. That you're, like, hearing about now and you feel like you missed out even though it was probably nothing. Yeah. It was garbage. Yeah.
1: But, yeah. That's all the Tang factory and Jinko jeans in Weymouth, Massachusetts. Yeah, that's all they had.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs>
0: Robin described his dad as enigmatic and impenetrable. And everything in that household was, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Yeah. He nicknamed his dad Lord Posh, but would never say that to his face. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. As he grew older, Robin would start to tape record comedians on television holding the recorder up to the TV, and he soaked it all in.
2: This is like the day of like uh, maybe Jack Parr. Uh, I think Carson was getting a little big around this time. That's
0: exactly who he was watching. Yeah. Jack Parr on The Tonight Show. Yeah. Mm. Because I don't know if people know this. He hosted it before Johnny Carson.
2: And before that, it was Steve Allen.
0: Yes. yeah, Steve Allen started it. But Jack Parr was the cool guy.
2: Yeah. He yeah. was
0: hip and it was uh irreverent with Jack Parr and intellectual at the same time.
1: Yeah. And Ed was, Sullivan was... wasn't Tonight Show?
0: No. No, uh, he had his own show. I think it was just a different network. Oh, uh, okay. And this is actually something that Robin bonded with his dad over. They both loved watching the Tonight Show with Jack yeah. Parr and then later with Johnny Carson. And one comedian that they particularly loved, Robin and his dad was Jonathan Winters. Oh, yeah, he was big. And there was a legendary routine where Parr handed Jonathan Winters a stick, and then Jonathan Winters proceeded to do improv with it, from being a fly fisherman to Bing Crosby's golf club. He went through a series of all these things, and Robin and his dad just found it hysterical. And he was also amazed, like, this guy's mind. How is he coming up with all this shit on the spot like that? He's got writers and stuff. But well, yeah, they, they didn't know that. <laughs> people don't know that.
2: Yeah, yeah. at yet. that time. Yeah, like the it, it, the magic is there and they don't see like behind the uh, the curtain of what's going on
0: there. Yeah, yeah, they don't see how they're making the steaks. Yeah, or the sausage. Or the sausage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't see how the cows be getting killed. Yeah, yeah. Another thing is Jonathan Winters was always open about his struggles, especially with depression, and Robin Williams admired that. So not only was this guy his hero for being so hysterical, but unlike a lot of other comedians, he would come out of his shell and say, hey, I'm human
2: and be, like, a real person being interviewed? Because, like, you'd, you'd see, like, Dangerfield on, like, uh, Carson and stuff. You're like, is this a real person? Yeah. He sits down, you know, with Johnny. He's just, like, joke after joke after joke. And then, like, Johnny Carson would be like, uh, so how are you, Ronnie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: no good, I tell you.
2: Hell yeah. Like, okay, no, no, no more bits.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Vinnie Boombox. Yeah. <laughs> how am I? Yeah. <laughs> the one thing I do like about... Rodney Dangerfield. I don't know if it was something he, in his older age that he talked about because I didn't know him like when I was younger or anything. But in his books, he talked a lot about depression and he called it the heaviness. Yeah, he mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he ever talked about that in his act.
2: He'd, he'd say it in on Stern interviews because like that—that's when Stern like kind of got to him a little bit more. Yeah. Well, he was the opposite of Rodney da- of um of Robin Williams in, in that Robin Williams came from a very affluent household, and that's the thing about comedy. It's like. It's very uh, a meritocracy. You know, if you kill, you kill. You mm-hmm. could be from like a very rich family or a very poor family. But for the most part, you know, it's easier to get to get it uh, earlier when you're younger. If you come from a rich family because
0: you just have more yeah. you know, resources and money. But usually it's funnier if it's from a poor person. Usually it's funnier if it's from an ugly person. And you're punching you get what I'm and saying. You're punching yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. 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 Of course. And we're going to get to that with Robin, by the way. Nice. Oh, Ooh, ah, fun, money, ah, rich, so, not for rich. <laughs> Robin the have, the have not. <laughs> would come out of his shell sometimes. He would crack jokes in class and use humor to avoid getting beaten up by the bullies. And now we get to your favorite year, Mark, 1967. The summer of love, baby. The summer of fucking love. Yeah. I sound like Dice Clay now. The summer (laughs) of fucking love. (laughs) Rob retired from Ford with a pension because the new kids rolled into town. And he was too old now to be in charge. Well, that's an interesting time
2: because I remember that time. uh, I think Robert McNamara became, he was our former Secretary of Mm -hmm. Defense. He became the CEO of Ford. And I think he... I could be wrong. He had like his his time frame was the, the this time you're talking about where he he left Ford. I think. So there's like a changing of the guard. Change of the guard. Yeah, yeah the old families of Ford are moving out. Yes, and I th- I think like the Ford, you know, all their dipshit grandsons, you know, nephews and stuff were all in charge. And like they had a dismal year in '66. This was covered in uh Ford uh, versus Ferrari actually oh, with Christian Bale oh. and Matt uh, Matt Damon so okay
0: Matt speaking Damon. of Matt Damon yeah Rob wanted It was
2: his fault there
0: and Bale's <laughs> yep Rob wanted to go to Florida but Lori Robin's mom refused, calling Florida an elephant's graveyard with lots of old rich people. I really like his mom.
2: Yeah, she's really on the money. She's on the money here with Florida (laughs) too. Fuck Florida.
0: (laughs) And so then, in nineteen sixty-eight, the family drove west to Tiburon, California. Let's go on the San Francisco Bay. Okay,
2: I was wondering, like, where the fuck is? There are a lot of towns in California. I am like, what the hell is that place?
0: And Robin is seventeen years old. So what an age to just pack up with the family and go. He was arriving just in time for his senior year in high school. That sucks. Yeah. But he had an interesting journey from here, though.
2: But imagine that you leave Detroit and then you but you go to San
0: Fran. Exactly. When they were driving in, it sucks to change schools and to change friends and everything. But, yeah, he was mesmerized by the fog and the bay, and the Redwoods, and the mellow vibe. It was a culture shock.
2: Yeah, this is a summer of love, San Francisco. You know, everyone's fucking and sucking. (laughs) (laughs) You're not kidding.
0: He enrolled at, speaking of Redwoods, Redwood High School that fall. And at first he shows up, you know, in a formal blazer and carried a briefcase. (laughs) Like he had to do in Detroit. Wow.
2: Oh, so that's what he... did. Oh, the uniform. That's what the school required. Got yeah. It. yeah.
0: But then one of his classmates informed him that he was putting off a negative energy. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> so then Robin switched to blue jeans. And then one day someone gave him a Hawaiian shirt, and that changed everything. After mm-hmm. that, Robin says... Quote, I was gone. I got into a whole wild phase and I learned to totally let go. End quote. His school offered courses in psychology, 16 millimeter filmmaking and black studies, despite having no black students. Oh, my God. yeah, Yeah. Robin was athletic. He played soccer and ran cross country. Also, at this time, he begins to experiment with drugs. Nice. He smoked a lot of pot, but he said it made him sleepy. He would even (laughs) smoke on his cross-country runs. And one time he had an encounter with a turkey vulture (laughs) that freaked him out. (laughs) <laughs> I guess that'll do it.
2: I like actually uh smoking some weed and uh, working out, or going for a run, or something.
0: It really works for some people.
1: It would freak me it, the it fuck. It loosens out. your
2: muscles up, so you know you get a, you get more out of it.
1: But it tightens my brain and makes me scared of everything. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say it tightens something else. Tightens my ace.
0: <laughs> oh oh, ace hole, <laughs> ace hole. So although Robin's branching out and having a good time, he's still kind of an introvert and he was uncomfortable around large groups. He continued to get good grades as always, but then found out that he liked being a performer and he was featured in a satirical play that year in school and just really liked being on stage. Mm. This is mirrored a little bit later in Dead Poets Society. So
2: he's hitting the ground running here. He's showing up at 17 and already he's doing plays, meeting friends. He's
0: uh, doing well. Exactly. And after graduating high school, Robin went to Claremont Men's College in eastern L.A.,
2: that's still there. It's it's just Claremont now, I think. Yeah. yeah.
0: And he was studying to become a foreign service officer. The hell is that?
2: <laughs> I guess when they tell you you got to come up with something that you're studying, that's what he came up yeah, with. Yeah,
0: instead of undeclared. Yeah. <laughs> he was torn foreign between sir. doing something exotic or something respectable to appease his father. Yeah. But his world was opening up, baby. <laughs> the,
2: the future was bright.
0: He started going girl crazy. Nice. The future was wet. At one point, he had three separate girlfriends at the same time.
2: Damn. This guy's juggling the broads. And (laughs) on a whim,
0: he chose a theater elective for improvisational acting taught by Dale Morse, who was a member of an influential improv group called The Committee in San Francisco. Robin says this was a way to channel his energy and think about the universe. So Robin joined an improv group called Karma Pie. They would put on free shows on campus. Karma Pie. Karma Pie. Okay. Like a a pie made of karma. Yeah. You get it? Sure.
2: (laughs) 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 I'm sure like fucked up on drugs. It sounds like a great idea.
0: Yeah. One local newspaper critic observed, it seems they are having more fun than the audience.
2: Well, that's any improv show, though. <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds
1: like uh, Charles Rocket's group of friends in college where they just they were
0: running amok and yeah. doing crazy yeah. things. Yeah. That's what's going on.
2: <laughs> and the audience is like, what are we doing here? Yeah.
0: And it soon became evident that Robin was funnier than everybody else.
2: Ooh, ha. Ooh.
0: <laughs> Good luck
2: catching up with this, ha. Huh?
0: <laughs> one, one member of the group named Bob Davis says Robin was full of energy and he knew Robin six months before finding out what his real voice was. <laughs> Meaning like it it wasn't like... Constant characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Robin's style didn't always mesh well with improv because he was the star. And his peers began to wonder if there was any character that he couldn't do because he was going from bohemian priest to orthodox rabbi to peasant farmer to old yeah. man. I've I've heard that
2: actually. So he did improv at I.O. West one time and I (laughs) I took some classes there. I knew people that uh, saw the show. He would just go off on his own tangents. Mm. He wouldn't really you know, improv is like listening to your scene partners and stuff and seeing what's going on and following the weird stuff, and he'd just go off and do his own stuff.
0: Yeah, Yeah, he was monologues. Yeah, he's (laughs) monologues. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's why stand up probably seems like it was better for him. Absolutely. And despite his artistic success. He was flunking out academically. Legend has it that he was kicked out of school for driving a golf cart through the dining hall. That's a better story than flunking out. Yeah. My name is Robin Williams and welcome to Jackass. (laughs) (laughs) Robin finally told his dad that acting, performing was his calling and his dad responded that it's fine to have a dream, but you'd better learn a skill like welding just in case. That's smart. Smart thing to say. And I, wish, that was... I wish my
2: dad told me that.
0: <laughs> that was a, a line Robin would use throughout his life as a joke. Like, oh, yeah. Like, my dad was very supportive. He liked my comedy, but I should have taken up a useful skill like welding. <laughs> you know, and it gets a big laugh. Yeah. yeah. Because welding is a funny word. It is. It's a funny concept. (laughs) It is. We're learning about comedy here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) His mom, Lori, was far more supportive, as you can imagine. Yeah. Robin lived at home while attending his next school, the College of Marin, a community college that was close by. It had a decent drama school, but it wasn't prestigious. Program director James Dunn would stage these offbeat Shakespeare productions, and Robin would star in the plays and give a different performance every night.
2: Oh wow! So he's, he's kept with it even though he was in community college.
0: Yeah, That's this is where he's doing it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, Chris Rock's bit would have been like community college. That means anyone from the community could come in. Drug dealers, uh, prostitutes, come on in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. What what was like uh, offbeat about it was just like this like beatnik Shakespeare.
0: Yeah, I think just, you
1: know... Romeo and Ginsburg. Yeah, modernizing
0: that. Hey, daddy-o. Yeah. To be a not-to-be, daddy. You can imagine.
2: A lot of smoking while doing uh, Shakespeare. Yeah. With bonnets on.
0: Yeah, Hamlet was gay. After about three years of this, it was time for Robin to move on. So James Dunn recommended him to a friend named john houseman also happens to be a semi-famous actor who is that guy he was in movies like scrooged at the end of his oh, life okay and naked gun he played the driving instructor in naked gun now raise your middle finger oh
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: and in guy. scrooged he plays the narrator on the oh i Christmas see this Carol guy special. yeah 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 this guy was good So he was in charge of the drama division at Juilliard in New York City. Wow. And based on the recommendation from his teacher at this nothing community college, Robin got into Juilliard.
2: That's insane.
0: Yeah. Wow. And he received a full scholarship. Whoa. So for the first time in his life.
2: It's like he needed it then. Yeah, I know. He, <laughs> he didn't have to rely on his
0: dad, who by this point was refusing to bankroll his acting ambitions any further. Oh, yeah. Take that, Teddy. I don't need your money, Daddy. I will. <laughs> you the know, scholarship. <laughs> it's Juilliard. It's this acting school, and it's revered and feared.
2: It still is. I don't know if it's, Still a like a good school to go to, but I
0: think it still has some prestige. Yeah. Adam Driver went there, really? Okay, yeah. Do you know who else? Don
2: Rickles went there also. I think. Really. Maybe he didn't.
0: <laughs> Just start
2: naming people. No, he did go to some uh, like dramatic acting school, but he I spit on it. the
1: sidewalk outside of it. I think maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, you call this an acting school? <laughs> bunch of queers. It was
0: grouped by uh, Roman numerals. The groups at Juilliard, based on uh, how advanced like you were. The Greek. Yeah, but also or to be fancier. Yeah, it's like a Montessori school. Yeah. Other actors who were studying there at the time include Mandy Patinkin, whoa. huge Homeland, Yep. William Hurt, whoa, all great. Right. Recent rest in peace, Detto, yeah. Kelsey Grammer, boo. <laughs> we're gonna just move on, <laughs> yeah. And Christopher Reeve, yeah. Stand up, future Superman. Oh super- my God, oh, <laughs> geez. God oh, please, Kyle. um, Christopher Reeve says that, quote, he never saw so much energy contained in one person. Yeah, but he said that from a wheelchair. Not yet. Oh, (laughs) my God. Robin Williams was like an inflated balloon and then immediately released. (laughs) There you go. And It's like the guy from Police
2: Academy is back doing all our sound effects. Michael Michael Winslow is here.
0: They became close (laughs) friends and called each other brother oh you know because he didn't have a real brother brother hey brother he had a real brother <laughs> yeah he's like macho
2: man randy savage yeah hulkamania hey brother what are you- <laughs> no that's more Hulk. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the two of them would sit on the rooftop drinking cheap wine talking about women nice and when robin needed to shut off and have a serious conversation reeve was his guy
2: Re- Christopher wow. Reeves seemed like a really nice guy. Yeah, yeah, and
0: he broke through with Robin, the shell. He yeah. got to the real He figured out the what real was going guy. on in there, and he's like, yeah.
2: I don't know if I like him. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, they loved each other. I didn't yeah. know they were friends.
2: No, they were like best buds. I remember Deep, deep that.
0: friends, yes. Wow. Yeah. How
1: deep? Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh, boy. So deep put his ass to sleep.
2: <laughs> they were talking about women, okay? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> they probably had threesomes.
2: Well, you never know with those uh, Juilliard school days, you know. Yeah. They get a little too much uh, wine in them. Things start getting really Jump. loose. Trying to climb up the ladder on the caboose. In fact, I'm pretty <laughs> sure
0: they had threesomes. Really? Because they were both very women crazy. Were that yeah. yeah. And Robin said that Christopher was so good looking that the well, women would flock him, and then Robin would be like, "Hey, over
2: here." <laughs> so he's like the carpie to uh... yeah.
0: <laughs> but he did well with women too. They loved him. He's just like short, funny, hairy guy with a lot of energy. If you yeah. ever get him to shut up, I'm sure. He'd he, no, know, yeah, he it was like <laughs> intoxicated. Dating to women
1: yeah it's a good combination though christopher reeves the eye candy and then he's like hey i got to talk to you yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah yeah and he would date loopy women like one girl that robin was dating he asked oh do you want me to walk you home and she's like nah i'll be okay my aura will protect me oh.
2: <laughs> like a lot of um like sagittarius they're into like the uh the horoscope. horoscopes yeah. and nonsense yeah.
0: yeah it is the 70s yeah it's
2: the age of aquarius In california
0: or, yeah. or new york In New York. New York City (laughs) right now with Juilliard. Yeah. In class, Robin classed with instructors. He couldn't do certain exercises straight. It had to be funny always. I got yelled at by
1: one of the guys from the state, the MTV show, the sketch show. He was doing like a storytelling class, and I would tell stories, but they would be punchlines. And he's like, get the punchlines out of here.
2: (laughs) Which one was it? Michael Ian Black?
1: No, it was uh, Kevin... um, Kevin something really yeah
0: but I was so annoyed that I didn't go to the show at the end of the year
2: oh really yeah
0: well I got that note in improv too in class to teach because I got these big laughs too funny you were too funny you were going for the laugh and it threatened to kill the scene yeah I got, I got that is. I got that
2: too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got kicked out for being too funny
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're all too funny for this yeah. world yeah. yeah
2: for this podcast hello <laughs> <laughs>
0: By the way, while he's at Juilliard, he would also perform as a mime on the street. And Todd Oppenheimer, like a real mime, found him one day and they would perform together. But then he got annoyed of Robin's...
2: Musings or just like sh- like uh, improvisations? Or- no, not even
0: that. They performed well together. And they would get... Big crowds. He didn't like Robin's work. Bad breath. Work ethic. Work. Oh, Robin uh... just wasn't as into it as he was. Yeah. So that part because he wasn't getting paid fizzled out. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Because he he wasn't relying on his family for money and the classes weren't going that great. He had a mental breakdown. He couldn't afford a trip back home for Christmas. And Robin was in debt to everyone at school when he ran out of money. He's one
2: of those guys.
0: A rich kid that's borrowing money from other people. I would be fucking Mm
2: -hmm. rip shit.
0: I'd be beating him up. I'd be pissed. But they're all rich at (laughs) Juilliard. They're richer than him. That's true, too. Yeah. Yeah, They have disposable incomes. Yeah. So he was taking it from the rich. Right. And giving it to the not (laughs) himself. Kind of poor or kind of poor. Yeah. And there was a while where he couldn't stop sobbing. Then finally, one day, he decided to level off and relax. Then after that, he started shining in plays like A Midsummer Night's Dream with his humor and physicality.
2: How old of a guy is he around this time, like 24, 23 or something?
0: Yeah, so 1951, yeah, like 23. Okay. By 1974, Christopher Reeve was cast on a CBS soap opera and never looked back. He never returned to Juilliard. Yeah. Next stop Soap Opera, Superman, yeah, and a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was going to say the third thing. <laughs> <laughs> By early 1976, it was time for Robin to withdraw from Juilliard but not because of being hired for some TV show. It was because the school and he mutually agreed that it was time to end.
2: How how long was he there for? He, he's, just, he's just hanging around there. He's like, a, he's like an eighth year senior or something. Yeah, yeah
0: he
1: redshirted for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like these like very prestigious art schools, it's almost looked down upon if you graduate. Um, Berkeley, it's like people are like, oh, you finished there? Mm-hmm. Because... If you
0: leave, you usually do well. Right. Or you have a project that you were working on. Oh, took yeah. you away from the school. Yeah. You know? The legend goes that John Houseman, the director at Juilliard, told him, there's just nothing more we can teach you.
2: Yeah. But that That has been
0: debunked.
2: That means get the fuck out of here.
0: Really, it was routine. And oftentimes, they didn't consider it essential, as Kyle said, that the students actually finish the program. Yeah, You get what you get out of it, and if you move on early, that's fine.
1: I'm surprised the school actually feels that way. It's usually like the alumnus. That feel that way, like we well, get the fuck if out of if
2: here. they're not collecting any more money from him, like you know, UCB, they'll let you take classes there until you're fucking dead.
1: They'll keep creating classes <laughs> yeah, for they, you yeah.
2: specifically. They'll make new yeah. levels and stuff.
0: Scientology does that too. Yeah, that exactly. Io literally had a five A, five B, of course, like, to make it sound like you're, it's not your sixth yeah. class. <laughs> and then you notice they're like building new like areas
2: of the place that you're kind of funding and <laughs> stuff, like that beer garden. That uh, what's your name? Built in Chicago and stuff. They're like, oh, okay. So I could so see gross. where my money's. Like, UCB, same thing. They yeah. built like some fucking huge monstrosity on <laughs> Sunset. And you're like, oh, that's where my money's going.
0: And they would encourage you aggressively to see shows. When really it's like they want you to go and spend money at the bus. Yes. Of
2: course, of course, yeah.
0: You should see, like, five shows a week at least.
2: We could do an entire show on how much these performing art schools are a scam. And we will. But Juilliard doesn't seem like it's that. It seems like it's a prestigious school that, like, you know, you're there to, like, meet people. and You're there to, like, hone your craft. And then you're you're supposed to get a decent-paying job on CBS unless you're Robin Williams.
0: (laughs) But unfortunately to Robin... It was just another educational endeavor that resulted in no degree.
2: Yeah, it's basically the community college.
0: So he returned home to live with his parents and went through a massive depression. Jeez. Then he started exploring the local theater scene. And he made his debut in Harold Pinter's The Lover in San Francisco, a play. And after that, he joined a workshop for stand-up comedy. So he's doing everything. (laughs) Except for working. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Right, except for welding Welded, yeah, he never got around to that One of his early bits was a parody of the Lawrence Welk show So he would have a German accent going like Play that funky music, white boy Okay, that's mm-hmm. funny <laughs> And this is where he starts developing his riffing style of comedy Uh-oh. Eventually he could scrape together as much as 25 bucks a night And he would do a monster set, Kill then he'd go and sit down and ask somebody, Did I go over? Mm-hmm. And so he was this wild, hairy guy, and he wore rainbow suspenders, sweated a lot. And people say he would always reek of B.O. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He looked like he smelled like shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like all that hair flowing off him and stuff. Yeah. And like he was like working himself up into a sweaty mess.
0: Yeah. Early stand up reviews described his humor as scatological pubescent. <laughs> One night at a club called the Holy City Zoo, he was helping to tend bar when he was struck by a tall Italian woman in the crowd.
2: Like hit? Or was he like struck by her like she's
0: beautiful? Hit by Cupid's arrow, baby Oh, right yes okay. I, th-
2: I thought she punched him in the face or something That would like...
0: be Boston Italian for yeah, sure Yeah, right.
2: that's true What'd you fucking say? What'd you riff about my wife? I said to you on ice <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are you looking at my future wife? Oh, fa fango, go, this guy you Hey, you want to get a drink? You sweated on me And what's with our dipod subjects And Italian women I know You yeah. know what I mean? That's why we're top two hundred in Italy, baby. Can't What's get up, them, We love them,
2: Maroon. <laughs> What's up, Amalfi
1: Coast? Saluti.
2: Yeah. What's uh, up, Genoa, motherfuckers? And so this woman, North Italy. Sorry,
0: nice. His Name <laughs> is Valerie Vellardi. <laughs> I'm Val Vellardi, and I'm here to fucking <laughs> smack you with my beauty. She was a dancer who paid the bills as a cocktail waitress. So Robin spoke. Good job. To her. If you can get it,
1: <laughs> answer for money.
0: Robin spoke to her in a French accent, and he mm. kept up the act all night. And she thought he was French. And then the next time they saw each other, he greeted her with a Western twang: "Hi, honey, how are you?" And they began dating. Nice. He just did that he just loved doing that. Yeah, just holding an accent for so long.
1: You said one of his friends didn't even know his real voice for like six months. Mm-hmm. Bob Zamuda tells a story about when he first met Andy Kaufman and he went to a show and Andy was like in the crowd and like dropped uh, a suitcase full of papers. And the papers went everywhere. And he's like, "I oh, my God, I need to get my papers. My papers are everywhere. I need to go to an interview right now. He was like doing it for like 20 minutes and bob's like helping him hurry like put these papers together and he's like i i don't know where to go i need to get a car to go and bob's like oh i can walk you outside and he weighs down a cab for andy and he's like oh thank you so much it's so very nice that you did this for me <laughs> yeah. and as soon as he opened the cab door he just looks at bob and just goes asshole <laughs> <laughs> just gets in the cab and drives away
2: <laughs> <laughs> like these are crazy people insane who people. made their way into uh, entertainment somehow yeah yeah Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am to save the day. Well, I think they just wanted to see if they'd get away with it. And if they, like, people would break and say, is that really you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think there's
1: an element of, like, sociopathy with this stuff. Of course. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Making people uncomfortable and feeling weird. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're talking about comedy in general? Yeah, exactly. Kind of, yeah. Valerie and Robin both agreed that he had reached the limit of what he could achieve in San Francisco. So they moved down to Los Angeles in the fall of 1976. He started at the West Hollywood studios of Off the Wall, a small improv troupe. Robin's comedy had grown into outrageous voices and wacky characters, and they just kept growing and becoming more elaborate. So he was doing a haughty aristocrat or a southern good old boy, a TV evangelist, a heavily accented Russian. So his repertoire is just growing, and he loves exploring foreign accents.
2: His act is kind of in between one-man show and stand-up kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of like which is it
1: yeah it's pretty much i would say one man show ish mm-hmm. yeah um
2: because yeah. it's not like obviously not set up punchline jokes and stuff he's just kind of riffing but yeah he's just on coke sweating going
0: crazy yeah <laughs> I, I think that's the best way to explain pretty much it. that should be in the fucking flyer <laughs> Yeah. yeah <laughs> sweaty guy on coke tells jokes yeah pretty much Bennett Tramer, an aspiring screenwriter, heard about Robin and went to see him perform. And what he witnessed was genius. (laughs) He saw Robin riff with a waitress. She was just serving drinks and he starts a conversation with her.
2: Uh, I think I would hate to be the waitstaff there.
0: If if Robin (laughs) Williams
2: keeps going up like, ooh,
0: drink, bink. (laughs) And then he destroyed a heckler (laughs) heckler saying, first time heckling? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and now he's ready to move up and he auditions for mitzi shore at the comedy store and he knocked it out of the park very quickly he became a salaried comic there and made two hundred dollars a week that's how much they were making it's more than people make now
2: i know <laughs> yeah. like, they, they
0: don't pay that now
1: to people no. there, people do
0: pay to get on stage yeah, uh, seriously uh, yeah. So he's rising in the stand-up scene, but then he's also getting into the perils of the stand-up scene at that time, which is a lot of heavy drinking and a lot of heavy drug use. I bet. Cocaine was everywhere. It was, it was known as the, <laughs> cham- too, I guess. <laughs> the champagne of drugs. One guy walked up to Robin in the parking lot with a spoon of Coke, and as he passed, Robin just snorted it. Whoa. Oh
2: my the entire spoon. Teaspoon, tablespoon. Yeah, that, that's a big question they there. Ooh. <laughs> tablespoon, ah, thimble.
0: And Robin <laughs> almost never paid for it. <laughs>
1: yeah, of course. People want to give you it and like hang out with you.
2: And also, like, I'm sure drug dealers would just hover around there and just be like, you know, yeah. first one for free, or just a way to like get busy because there's so much cocaine on yeah. the streets.
0: Yeah. He said you'll tolerate conversations with people you wouldn't even talk to in the daylight. Totally. He'd party all night long, and he never missed a party either. And when talking about coke, he said, cocaine is the most selfish drug. The world is as big as your nostril. (laughs) Valerie, his girlfriend, his official girlfriend, even though he's still sleeping around. The
2: dancer waitress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's used to having a uh, cycle of like three girls at the same
0: time, I guess. Has not stopped here. And she's having trouble finding where she fits into his life. Exactly. But despite that, they got married in 1978. Why not? <laughs> Around the time he was also seeing Elaine Boozler. Oh Ooh. wow. She really wants you to know that, by the way. Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Robin got noticed by the Rollins Joffe talent firm. You know, like Jack Rollins, Charles H. Joffe, they produced the Woody Allen movies, among other things, in the 1970s. So they
2: they were like a management company, not um, not like an agency, but a management yeah, company. Yeah, a major
0: firm, yeah. talent firm. And they took him on as a client, along with up-and-comers David Letterman and Billy Crystal. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs>
2: Ooh, <laughs> we got uh, Robin Williams here.
0: <laughs> oh, goody-goom. Goody-goom. <laughs> but much to the firm's annoyance, Robin would often audition using strong accents.
2: Is he ripping off Andy Kaufman's entire thing or is is he just doing that on his <laughs> Not own?
0: Not ripping off, just kind of making it his own Inspired thing. by yeah. It, yeah. So he had a slow start in TV and movies after joining this talent firm. He did some movie called, Can I Do It Till I Need Glasses? Which was made up of comedic sex skits. Yeah. And true. this movie went nowhere. But of course, after he's famous, they re-release it and pretend like he starred in it. Oh, of course. Then I they sued him that. over there and said, look, you can put his name on it, but you have to put like five other names on too. He can't be the star. <laughs> yeah. He had a failed pilot called Sorority 62. He joined the cast of the Richard Pryor show. And that failed to—it was funny. You know, they they had a talented team. Yeah. It just didn't ignite. It wasn't, you know, like the um, Smothers Brothers or anything. It didn't
2: utilize the, the greatness of Richard Pryor to the best possibilities.
0: Exactly but he did learn a lot from Richard Pryor just how raw he was on stage yeah. and revealing a little more the, they are
2: two very different they <laughs> type of acts
0: he also appeared in a revival of Rowan and Martin's Laughing that went nowhere did you know there was another Laughing in the 70s they
2: tried to bring it back yeah
0: bring back the magic and it just didn't work yeah that brings us to Happy Days it's 5th year on the air it was a uh, big hit for before many they, years before
2: they jumped the shark
0: Oh, the fifth season started out with Fonzie going west and on a bet jumps a shark
2: oh so, so <laughs> never mind so In the I, right, premiere episode at the time yeah. of the fifth
1: season we, that was the premiere yeah wow
2: which to any listeners don't know what we're talking about anytime I'm sure you've heard you know a TV series jump the shark yeah it's literally Fonzie jumping a shark uh, while surfing mm-hmm. on happy days yeah. so that's
0: where the that's, that's the term. origin of the yeah. term yeah, yeah. <laughs> series creator Gary Marshall you know who went on to become a huge director like with movies like pretty woman yeah, yeah. and Went on to uh, stuff Penny Marshall That's his sister Oh well that's awkward for them
2: <laughs> Wow Kyle. Breaking news here from Kyle Blue Wait
0: a second If I wasn't there to correct that <laughs> I know. There'd be like incest rumors I, was,
2: I thought it was maybe His uh, his. Um, I thought it was his daughter for a second But yeah they're around the same age So that doesn't make sense yeah. Kyle geez
0: <laughs> I'm Looking at me So they did it <laughs> Look at that. <them. laughs> or don't. So Gary Marshall was looking for new ideas. And so he asked his nine-year-old son, hey, what do you want to see on TV? And his son is like, space people. <laughs> so then the writers of Happy Days came up with an episode that would turn out to be a dream within the episode called My Favorite Orkin. Think Star Wars meets My Favorite Martian. The story centers on Mork from Ork a friendly alien who has special powers and is baffled by the customs of Earth people. They had trouble casting the role. Dom DeLuise and Roger Reese both passed on it.
2: Try to do my Dom DeLuise. <laughs> I-, I wound up coughing and choking. <laughs> You're gonna die, I was like, Damn, are you okay? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Dom DeLuise over here. And Roger Reese, <laughs> who played the villain in Robin Hood Men in Tights, he said, this is just not a real person. I can't play this.
2: <laughs> yeah. no, no, that's an you, alien. That's what you get when kids are writing fucking sitcoms.
0: <laughs> I want to see space people. I have an idea.
2: I'm an executive producer. He was actually 37 when he said <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we didn't say the Not age. too bright. That's right, yeah.
0: <laughs> and you know, Marshall probably came up with the idea. He was probably like, do you want to see space people?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: A producer had seen Robin perform and told Marshall that this guy, Robin Williams, he stands on a street corner, does a lot of voices and impressions, and then passes the hat. So then Marshall's like, are you kidding? And then she replied, well, it's an awfully big hat. So then Marshall laughed, and they brought Robin Williams into audition. Again, I think that story is bullshit and it's part of the lore.
2: I think all, no, not everything you said is bullshit, but I think that the kid thing is bullshit. All these TV shows I've noticed uh, doing pitches and stuff, you have to create a story. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a story, not just the TV show story, but like how you came up with it or how you, you know, you came to this material. Yeah. What inspired you? How, what does this it's, have to do with your history? And especially
0: stuff. for an iconic show.
2: Exactly. You got to
0: have a good story how it started. Because you
2: want people, you know, at these agencies and all these networks talking, you know, together about, you know, these crazy stories that, you know, people came up with.
0: Yeah. And so for the audition, Robin walked in, made no small talk, and proceeded to the couch where he plopped down face first and stood on his head. Then he pretended to drink from a water glass with his finger and he got the job. Yeah. So on February 28th, 1978, My Favorite Orkin aired, and it was the most watched show of the season. And so then when fall came around and ABC needed more content, Marshall developed a spinoff. And originally the title was The Mork Chronicles. But then one executive was like, nobody knows what a chronicle is.
2: Yeah. Anytime they have a, they have no show I <laughs> they know idea. what a
0: Mork is?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime they have no show idea, or for the title, it's always the chronicles. It was the Seinfeld Chronicles before it was Seinfeld. Oh, my God. And
0: then it was later changed to Mork and Mindy because another executive said, audiences like shows you can name your pets after. (laughs) What? (laughs) This is my dog family and his brother ties. (laughs) Ridiculous. You want to meet my cat Seinfeld? (laughs) (laughs) Pam Dauber. Remember her? Yeah, da Which What show is she from? Uh, My sister, Sam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can only do episodes of Death and Entertainment that feature Pam Dauber. Yeah. Just so you guys know.
2: Yeah. It's in your contract
0: yeah. here. <laughs> she had just done a failed pilot called Sister Terry. Another show with sister in the title. <laughs> wow. And they thought she'd be a good partner for Robin. So to save money, they edited that show together with the Happy Days episode and made a five minute presentation. And then the show got greenlit. And Robin's agent called to tell him that the series was picked up for a full 22-episode order. What? And then jokingly added that he'll be getting $1,500 a week. And so Robin was like, oh, that sounds great. Then the agent was like, schmuck, it's $15,000 a week. I was just teasing you.
2: Oh, my (laughs) God. God! Wow. They were just fucking burning money those days. And
0: it shows what Robin thought of money, too. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Not worried at all. He doesn't even know what money is. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He just wants to be working and go somewhere every day and have a job.
0: The pilot aired to big ratings and rave reviews. Mork meets Mindy, who becomes his roommate, friend, and eventual love interest. And we have a clip here from the pilot. Fucking... It's the summer of love every day. An <laughs> yeah. Orc. Still is. Your suit's on backwards. <laughs> it is. Boy, do I feel like a clone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're
2: not a priest. Who are you? I am Orc from Orc. Nanu Nanu. <laughs> Orc? Yes. You see, Orc is a planet. You follow the Big Dipper till it comes to a dead end, then you are hanging up i'm up up down hard to tell out in hyperspace oh right
1: i have a, a poor sense of direction myself so you're you're from outer space
2: yes you, you mind if i take a few pictures for the folks on the home planet <laughs> they'd like to get some postcards oh um, no okay watch the fluky
0: it's kind of exhausting yeah it is <laughs> The L.A. Times wrote that it was uproarious, the best new comedy of the season. The reason can be summed up in two words. Robin Williams. He's fantastic, wild, inventive, unpredictable. He's a major comedic talent with an arsenal that includes crazy voices, credible imitations, excellent timing, and a zany spontaneity that makes him refreshing and immensely likable. End a, quote.
2: That's a good review.
0: I thought that pretty much summed up his entire career. Yeah? Yeah. They knew it right away.
2: Well, it, it shows like uh, he's come a long way from uh, you know, those weird shows he was doing north of San Francisco and stuff. Yeah,
0: and this is- Where they is, hate his guts. Yeah, all that crap <laughs> finally added up to this. Yeah. Comedy, acting, improv. I think his tenacity and his ambition to keep going- and the bankroll from his family. It, of course. It's always rich kids. that yeah. get to experiment. You know? I
2: know. and I, At no point did I hear he was like working a, a nine to five job at any point. Yeah, so. He
0: never worked at a real estate office that specialized in foreclosures in <laughs> <Yeah>. Chicago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely not. Viewers thought much of the show was improvised. A false impression that Robin perpetuated. His publicity team made it seem like Robin was making it all up and that there was no script. Oh, God. One day in front of the live studio audience, Robin ad-libbed a joke and it died. Then he ad-libbed another stinker. Then he finally did the written line and it got a huge laugh. The audience was under the impression that he had made that up. Ah. And so this improv mythology annoyed the writing staff to no end. Yeah, I'd be pissed. <laughs> it's like, do the written one first. <laughs> and when he did this improv, it was usually of a sexual nature and done to women in the cast. He would grab Pam Dauber's ass and breasts and...
2: <laughs> so he's just like a horny weirdo who just wanted to, you know, start grabbing broads.
0: Dauber says, quote, I was flashed, humped, bumped. Somehow he could get away with it. It was the 70s after all, end quote. I guess. That being said, they had a lot of affection for each other. <laughs> He, so she
2: blamed it on the time. She's okay with blaming it on like the the, yeah, time. the atmosphere yeah. and uh, what, yeah. whatever men were doing those days.
0: And he was such a wild performer that on live audience tapings, they added a roving fourth camera, which they called the Robin to capture his movements. <laughs> and that became a standard sitcom staple. To have that moving fourth camera.
2: But did they? I wonder if they actually captured or used any of the footage from it, or do they just want to make him believe it was up there and it was doing something? It's part
0: of the lore. Yeah. You know? See the Robin Cam. He was so wild and off the cuff that you couldn't capture him. Yeah, yeah. You got to shoot him wild. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He can't even stay on the screen. Because you got (laughs) to, if he
2: does something crazy, which he always does, you got to capture it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. In nineteen seventy nine, he's on the cover of both Time and Rolling Stone. Fame and fortune have finally arrived. Dauber, on the other hand, felt like she was just the girl. It just wasn't the same level of fame. He was a star. He
2: yes. Was, yeah.
0: They weren't watching it for Mindy. No offense to Pam Dauber. Yeah. No, but it just it just it's the way it worked out. <laughs> She's great and stay tuned. <laughs> of course. I love Hell stay tuned. Yeah. yeah. At its peak, Morgan Mindy had sixty million viewers. Oh my God. Um, but by the wow. fourth season, viewership had declined, as it happens. And so Jonathan Winters, his comedy idol, joined the cast. Wow. And he played their baby named Mirth. <laughs> what? Ages backwards.
2: Oh, Benjamin Button.
0: Yeah. 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 And Mork and Mindy was canceled after 95 episodes in summer of 1982. He just missed just the syndication.
2: <laughs> yeah. Nah,
0: back then, it probably actually went syndicated. I'm sure
2: it was. Yeah. yeah.
1: It was probably a different number back then.
2: Yeah, probably. I would assume. I, I don't even know if it's still 100 episodes now. I think that's something like I just remembered and I'm like, I assume it's going to be the truth for the entire
0: world. Yeah. <laughs> By now, his command of the stage was perfected and he was this comedic force. Um, And this was evident in his first HBO special, Live at the Roxy, in 1978. All the irreverent characters were there, and all his seemingly off-the-cuff improvisations and comebacks. Like when someone yells Mork as he's doing his Shakespearean character, he says, Nay, not Mork. Nay, speak not to that TV or not TV. Nice. Bennett Tramer. (laughs) So he had
1: a plant do that
0: then. (laughs) Well, we'll see. Bennett Tramer, the writer who, you know, saw him perform and he helped him actually make his first comedy album, Reality What a Concept, that was released in 1979. And it went on to win the Grammy for Best Comedy Album. So Tramer, you know, helped him get there, forming the material better for a special and for albums. Yeah. And during this process, Tramer learned that what looked impulsive and scattershot was actually well-structured and planned out. So it was very much a myth, all this improv. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I always wonder, like, so, like, Kirby Enthusiasm, they're like known to be like the improv show, but like, how much of that is? And I've heard they had general ideas of what the scenes are. Yeah. But still, I'm sure there's more, you know, there's more, go- more organization going on there than they'd like people to believe.
1: I actually talked to Jeff Garland about this. Here we go. In Seattle. And he said that they do have a conclusion that they need to get to in every scene but how they get there sometimes they don't have actual lines
2: oh okay so yeah they do but whereas robin williams everything is very mapped out for him he's coming up with the with the stand-up album but it's just it's very choreographed and it's like ready to go and it's not just like spur of the moment
0: and it is brilliantly done you know how i said like that welding line he would use wherever throughout his entire life. Yeah. That's how a lot of this stuff sprouts up. Like if you only saw that one interview, you're like, that's hilarious, that line he said about welding. But yeah. you, don't, he uses so you much. didn't hear the other ten times he used <laughs> yeah, it in different yeah. spots.
1: There's a compilation of Vin Diesel doing interviews for like over 20 years, and it's the same thing over and over and over again.
2: Really? <laughs> yeah. He just uses the same little devices it's or stories?
1: Same little asides, little jokes that you think, oh, he just came it's up like with It's
2: like a that. robot saying, yeah. He literally
0: <sighs> is a robot.
2: That's so sad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and so on his HBO special and first album, the stock character's That he would use time and time again came into the mix. And also the caricatures of blacks, Jews, gays, Asians. Oh, boy. He said he never meant them to be offensive. And really, it was a comedic shield because a wealthy wasp isn't funny. So he liked disappearing into a man who's standing on the margins of society instead.
2: Whereas he wasn't really that, but he did no. feel like an outsider. So he was kind of conflicted because he came from a uh, affluent family, like you said, but he was also felt like an outsider wherever he was.
0: Yeah, and that's why he was so comfortable doing that.
2: I remember hearing Wyatt Cenac uh, say that he did improv with uh, Robin Williams one time at uh, I O actually. Oh wow! It was I think it was a Mark Maron interview, and he's like. Him and another uh, black improviser come out and Robin Williams came out and was just like, hey, yo, my man. And they're like, they did not do the scene like you would actually imagine. Yeah, they, they didn't
1: like, yes and that. they
2: didn't yes and that <laughs> one bit, but they still like made it fun and stuff. They yeah. knew, you know, Robin Williams, what you're getting. And especially yeah. at that age, he was like in his like 60s. So,
0: yeah. And let's talk about joke thievery for a second. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. In 1979, L.A. Magazine ran a one paragraph item in their gossip section alleging that Robin plagiarizes material. A group of anonymous young comics claimed that he would come to their shows and steal jokes for Mork and Mindy. Apparently, someone threw him against the wall in a club and ordered him to pay them $300. Wow. And then the Chicago Tribune further investigated the claims. And some of the bits in question were reality. What a concept. That line supposedly belonged to Biff Maynard. What's happening, Plasma? That line was from John Witherspoon, a comedian from the Richard Pryor show. And he confronted Robin, who told him, I ad live a lot. If I use your line, I'll pay you. David Brenner once confronted Robin's agent and threatened violence if one of his jokes was stolen again. Wow. Robin flatly denied all the allegations. Quote, when you're a success, it's the same old charge. End quote. And a lot of comics feel like he falls into a gray area because he would sit and watch comedians back in the day and he would absorb them. And then he would not even realize when some of their material showed up in his act. Um, but I don't know. Like this. That's what he says. I know. No, yeah. I understand
2: that. But I, I don't know. Like when he's, you know, listening to so much comedy, he happens to, oh, whoops, I'm stealing it. Yeah. I, I'm not trying to give him a hard time. I'm just saying being unconscious of things, you're making a choice to not be on point and with it and notice
0: what you're doing. He says that after a while, he stopped hanging out and going to clubs altogether for fear of absorbing people's material. I heard that. Yeah. That's probably a smart move. Robin Williams also addressed the allegations many years later on WTF with Mark Marin. And he said the same thing, and Marin agreed with him that. People had been a little too harsh with him, probably, yeah, because a lot of that was going on anyway. And Robin was just the biggest target. And that historically, performers like Milton Berle and you know the Borscht Belt days, they would all share each other's jokes, like as Marin put it, like you doing the Uncle bit tonight? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You know, they were like all, Kenny Youngman and all them. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. Like take my wife. Yeah. Who wrote that line? Good yeah, luck finding some that of them out.
2: are just street jokes or just like things that people have been saying to each other for years. So they were
0: all light fingers that being said, some of these people, you know, have real gripes. Legitimate beef. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's food for thought. Yeah. Like I said, this was going to be warts and all. Ladies and gentlemen, home box office and the Roxy are pleased to present Robin
2: Williams.
0: Thank you. I'd like to thank the Academy. You've made life too unreal. Uh, Billy Bob, I'm on TV. I'm so happy to be here, I could drop a log, boy. This is for you, Squeeze! I'm here.
2: We got some crazy people here, good. Oh, damn. Anyone really stoned right now is going, wow, reality, what a concept. Too many friends.
0: So, this is comedy heaven. <laughs> and so, Robin Williams is a superstar. He's b- a bona fide superstar. Well, yes. once you're on those
2: two covers of those magazines, it's kind of solidified that, you know, the deal's done. But
0: he wanted more.
2: More of what? What else is there? He
0: think... wanted to be on a huge billboard on Sunset Boulevard as a movie star. Whoa. You
2: can get that with a, a TV show, but uh, also that guy from um, Tommy from um, The Room, he got a big... Oh, he was wise, though. Yeah, so that doesn't mean much
0: no, now, doesn't. but at that time,
2: <laughs> in the late 70s, early 80s, that was a big deal.
0: So he does his first movie. And it's Popeye.
2: Oh, my God. I remember. Live
0: action adaptation of not necessarily the cartoon, but the original comic strip. This is Robert Altman, right? Directed it's Robert those? Altman, Yeah, who has never done a kid's movie and doesn't do well with big budget movies either.
2: No, he his movies historically have made zero dollars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it was an odd choice Very as director. Odd. Yeah. And guess who they got for the soundtrack? Harry Nielsen. Oh, Oh. okay. He did the entire soundtrack and it's awesome. It's like quirky, lo fi, but very catchy. Yeah. Yeah. The casting was amazing, too. Oh, it's perfect. I thought Robin
1: was great. Shelly Duval's a perfect olive oil. Oh, yeah. You're not going to find a better olive oil no.
2: than
0: Shelly Duvall.
2: Yeah, no. she like, looks exactly like olive mm, oil.
0: Literally, yeah. It was olive crazy. oil. Olive Popeye was jointly produced by Disney and Paramount Pictures and Robert Evans. This is one of his personal projects. Really? Um, This was shot on the island of Malta. Ooh. And the story goes that the set is still there today what that they constructed let's go <laughs> let's go for the town of Sweet Haven let's do a shot for shot remake yes let's go <laughs>
2: blow me down <laughs> <laughs> so, they're on
0: this island and robin was really starting to get out of control by this point with all the drinking and drugging it's wearing on him yeah because one night on set the writer Jules Pfeiffer who was there on set for some reason. That's always a good idea. Well, Let's they, have the writer around while we film this. And they do do that with, mo- with, move- with movies, though. Oh, he left angrily, though, when Altman staged the big number where Robin Williams sings, I am What I am I remember this. He did not like that Altman didn't film Robin Williams front and center singing it. It was more low key than he was. Well, wanted it was it a wider be. shot, than yeah. too, right? So he left angrily because he's like, oh, he fucked up that sequence. I can't watch this anymore.
2: Yeah, it it was
0: a bad movie. I disagree, but I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, Can't wait. One night on the set, Jules Pfeiffer was awakened by a phone call. He's like, hello? And then someone on the other end said, hey, Robin's coming up to beat you up. <laughs> he, he heard you're sleeping with his wife, Valerie. Oh! <gasps> So then, Jules Pfeiffer went outside and found Robin in the street, walking towards him. And he's like, "Robin, this whole thing is ridiculous." He still has on the prosthetic forearms.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he winds up for yeah. the punch.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's, well, he's yeah, smoking
2: the pipe still.
0: Yeah, <laughs> eating spinach. <laughs> then moments later, they hugged and told each other they loved each other, and that was that. You fuck up
2: my wife, huh? Why? Yeah, you would. Uh, no, that's that's uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the honeymoon. Yeah,
0: yeah. The movie, they're scrambling to get it done. Like Nielsen's, like still finishing the songs, you know, and mixing them, and they're making changes. It sounds and then so chaotic. Right before the big finish, they ran out of money. The entire production ran out of funding. <laughs> right and, before he came on, Valerie. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. okay, so they. <laughs> <laughs> they do uh Why I order? <laughs> they're desperate to come up with a way to end the movie now. Because all the money was taken away when they needed it the most for the big finale. Yeah. yeah. And Robin Williams jokingly told a coked up Robert Evans, Why don't we have Popeye walk on water? And then Robert Evans was like, Yes! And so that's <laughs> how the movie ends. With him walking on water singing Popeye the Sailor Man. What? Yeah.
2: And you, you're still... Committing to the fact that you like this movie. Okay, so well, let lady me and Jesus.
0: <laughs> let me tell what you why. <laughs> the only two people that have ever walked on water.
2: <laughs> Jesus,
0: <laughs> this movie gets such a, a good bad Robert rap Evans because it is charming. It's delightful. Oh my god! There is no movie like it, and if you are looking for a kids movie. Instead of Pixar, put this movie on because they will love it. It is filled with nonstop, goofy sound effects. And it really looks like a live action cartoon. Really more than any movie I've it ever weird.
2: seen. It wasn't in black and white. No, it no was it's color. color. Yeah.
0: And a lot of people agree with me. I've seen online because there was actually a very real perception at that time. And since then, that the movie was horrible and that it was a financial disaster. And that's not true. The for, second part was true. For example, Roger Ebert, when he had a jaw, oh, he God. gave it three and a half out of four stars at the time. And he said Robert Altman takes you to new worlds in his movies, and this is no different.
2: Well, what did Siskel say? They they usually well, put let's it not hay- get into what <laughs> Siskel <laughs> okay. thought.
0: And it opened in December 1980, and it ended up being the 12th highest-grossing film of the year, grossing 50 million dollars. So that's what I say to people that say Popeye was this big stupid failure. I liked Popeye.
2: I remember watching as a kid and I didn't like it. So maybe I got to give it a rewatch.
0: You really should with the proper... Get drunk
2: and all coked up and yes. I'll see how I like
0: it. With the proper <laughs> lens, I think you can appreciate Popeye. Okay. And we have a clip. This is when Popeye first meets Olive Oil.
2: Olive, will you show Mr. Mister oh, Popeye now? Mr. I, the spare room. It's just Popeye. Go upstairs, Mr. Mr. I. Olive will it's show Popeye. the room. Thanks. <laughs> oh, it comes on some an asylum here Show me your room, show me some courtesy, it might be nice I don't (laughs) do anything the day before
0: my engagement party when nothing's ready Especially me What kind of name is that anyway, Popeye? Pretty
1: strange
2: What kind of name is olive oil? Sounds like some kind of lubricants (laughs) Nice Can I see me room now? Oh, as if I cared Let me give you a hand, maybe you need a little oil
0: Okay, so you can see it's constant one-liners, and kids aren't going to understand any of that, but what they will respond to is Shelley Duvall, like, or like, whoa, yeah, and like yeah. hitting the window. Boink. So there really is something for everybody yeah. there.
2: Oh, well, that didn't seem like a bad scene. I don't All know. Right. I don't what do I know? That's my spiel. Something for everybody except for Mark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is no Kaitel's dick. <laughs> but it was that, perceived. That's a better show.
2: Yeah. That's was, my
0: type of show, you see? It was perceived as a failure, though it did not launch robin williams but it didn't into have that killer startup. killer
2: weekend or anything
0: no but it made a lot of money the thing is though they felt he was Buried in the performance, so he was mumbling. You know, one eye is shut the entire time. Yeah, that's so Popeye. It well, it <laughs> yes, but it's well, you can't. But you got to find
2: your own way of getting to Popeye and not just doing verbatim what he is in the cartoon. No, that's yeah.
0: not the issue. I'm just saying, culturally, somehow it just he didn't transition into being a movie star instantly after that. Yeah, it didn't do much for him.
2: Like, think of Jim Carrey in The Mask. Like, who knew it wasn't wh- the mask? What the fuck that was? But yeah. yeah. He made that fucking work. Yeah.
0: So he wasn't real thrilled with how it turned out. Um, Robin Williams, that is not you as know, thrilled as you are, not as thrilled <laughs> as I was. OK, so he does Mork and Mindy for another couple years after that. And in its final season, the one with Jonathan Winters, the writings on the wall, the ratings are declining. Things aren't looking good. And he's not a movie star. He can't fall back on that because Popeye, you know, didn't launch him. Yeah. And he's really into partying and doing a lot of drugs at this time still. Must have been crazy.
2: L.A. at that time was fucking nuts.
0: And that brings us to March 1982 when he hangs out with SNL star John Belushi.
2: Oh, what could go wrong there?
0: He had first <laughs> met Belushi in 1977, and Belushi had given him like a tour of a bunch of music clubs you in know?
2: Chicago. Probably Chicago. I think that's where he. Uh, yeah, he he was well known to. Dan Aykroyd actually owned a couple of bars in Chicago and stuff, and like had his own spots. back so. in the day. Back in the day, yeah, wow. I heard Dan Aykroyd like whatever city he was in, he'd like buy his own bar,
0: <laughs> like in in New York, too. like um Peter O'Toole.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> we bought the bar. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you
1: won't
0: have any more. Oh, we'll have many more.
2: We'll have many more.
0: <laughs> God, what I wouldn't give to have a drink with Peter O'Toole. Yeah, you know?
2: and his buddy uh, Finchy.
0: Yeah, Peter yeah. Finch. <laughs> yeah, Peter yeah. Finch. On another occasion, Robin Williams had sung back up to um, Belushi's Joe Cocker act at Catch a Rising Star. Oh, yeah. The yeah. New York nightclub. Yeah. And Belushi came to the Mork & Mindy set. Oh, did he? During the winter season, the last season. And they both stood back and watched Jonathan Winters go. Yeah. When it was his time to they're both huge to fans. Yeah. Oh, Belushi was the most reverent and respectful to the older comics that came before him. Wow. Like, he was the only one of the cast who thought that it was awesome when Milton Berle hosted SNL. <laughs> and that's... Considered the worst episode of all time. Oh, really? But but Lucy was just so in awe of Milton. Milton Burl's Burrell.
2: just so not the energy for the SNL of that time. No, it doesn't make- baby. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> he's a Catskills comic. Yeah. Like going Incidentally,
0: down I sought that episode out once, and they do a very interesting sketch in that episode that totally rips apart that improv classes thing. Really? Yeah, Milton oh, Berle plays a then. teacher who's like, you got any more money? <laughs> I'm like, that is so awesome. This sketch has never been seen again. So it's timeless,
2: wow. the idea of performing arts uh, instructors taking yep. money from, from bad students.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Williams and Belushi are bonding. They have this love of, you know, the the elders, so to speak. Yeah. Of comedy,
2: I'm sure they have a few other things in common. A certain white powder,
0: yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> that always helps. That yeah, always helps. That the brings people together. Yeah. 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 Hey, yeah. Uh, you she, Jonathan Winters when he was doing that baby routine. It was so hilarious. Yeah. Hey, you got any more of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Imagine being in that room. I'd be like, I gotta go. Yeah. I've had enough. <laughs> I've had enough.
0: <laughs> and uh, they ended up having the same cocaine dealer a guy named Richard T. Bear, who was a piano player who had appeared on a bunch of albums, and he was on the soundtrack to the Blues Brothers movie. Okay, So this is a shared love of comedy and cocaine, and they mm-hmm. got some mutual friends. And they make plans, you know, we got to hang out more. Yeah, that's what everyone always does
1: <laughs> yeah. on coke.
2: Not even just that, like, we should start, like, a fucking internet Business. company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We should open a bar in, in Arizona.
1: I would love to hear a story of... Two coked out lunatics starting a company over coke. Yeah. <laughs> that actually blew up and became something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's actually how we got the children's hospital. <laughs>
2: yeah. And that St. C- Jude's. <laughs> that company, my friend, is Intel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh,
0: March 5th, 1982. That night, Robin Williams had been to the comedy store and uh, he showed up impulsively at around 1.30 a.m. What?
2: And he liked
0: that slot because he could try a bunch of material and there was no pressure. So then after he finished, he went over a few blocks down to On the Rocks, it was called, but then that was closed. And the post-2 a.m. crowd in the parking lot was huge. And then one of the bouncers said, hey, uh, John Belushi and Robert De Niro are looking for you. So then Robin phoned De Niro's room at the Chateau Marmont further down the Sunset Strip. Yeah. And Robert De Niro was like, we're meeting at John's place at the Chateau. He's like, yeah. come on down. He's kind of feeling weird, too, because these are new friends and it's so late. You but know? he's
2: not uh, he's not drugged up enough or he's not drunk enough to, like, you know, be able to let his guard down or, like, feel okay?
0: Yeah, he just wants to keep the party going and, you know, wanted to hang out with them for a bit. Yeah. So then Robin jumps into his BMW and drives over to the Chateau. Someone lets him into Belushi's Bungalow 3. He calls up Robert De Niro and says, hey, where are you? I thought you were supposed to be here. (laughs) He hears female voices in the background. And then De Niro's like, oh, I can't. So then Robin hangs up, and he realizes, okay, De Niro's not going to be hanging out. He's <laughs> having sex right now.
2: Yeah, he's got some girl over there.
0: <laughs> or girls. Uh, girls. Uh, yeah. Assuming you know, he's
2: got, like, a five-way going on in there yeah. or
0: something. Yeah. <laughs> so he's fucking and... Yeah. And sucking. And, and sucking. not hanging <laughs> out with you <laughs> And
2: getting sucked.
0: And <laughs> so then um, one of Belushi's musician friends is there, and it's like, oh, John will be back soon, you know. So Williams is just waiting there. And then John returns with Kathy Smith and he greets Robin very warmly. And then they all sit on the couch. This Smith girl was ecstatic to meet Robin Williams. She was a big fan of Mork and Mindy and she'd seen him at the comedy store. But, you know, from the first moment that Robin saw her, he was very uncomfortable because he was wondering why, as Bob Woodward put it. Belushi was hanging out with such a crusty woman, oh my who had clearly God. been around. Bob Woodward said this, yeah, in Wired. Before. Oh, did he? Yeah, this. Oh, is he wrote Wired. Yeah, this is from Wired. Oh, wow. About John Belushi, Jeez. she got some mileage on her,
2: <laughs> a little wear and a little tear, <laughs>
0: you know. And <laughs> here, this is an excerpt from Wired. Actually, why the fuck not? I'll just read it. Go for it. Williams did not consider himself a spring chicken, but Smith was frightening. She seemed somewhat out of place in John's life, at least from what Williams had seen. Even the room, tacky and messy, seemed part (laughs) of this different ambiance. Dozens of wine bottles were open and scattered around. Williams wondered what John, who was overweight and depressed, was doing and why. He admitted a certain melancholy. He seemed not embarrassed, but a little out of sorts because Williams was seeing him in this condition. Grabbing his guitar, John strummed a few chords. He couldn't find the sound he was looking for and put it down. John stood up and got out some cocaine, and Williams had a little. Then John sat down, and his head just dropped, as if he had fallen asleep or passed out. In about five seconds, he lifted his head. "'What's up?' Williams asked. He had never seen anyone go out like that and then come back so quickly. "'Are you okay?' Yeah, John said distractedly, took a couple of lewds. He sat there on the verge of sleep. Williams decided it was time to go. Yeah, that seems like a good time to go. (laughs) Jesus Christ.
2: Well, like it's weird because those rooms of the Chateau Bar Mom, yes, they're they're kind of hotels, but you can actually rent them out as apartments also. So maybe that's why she put up her own decor in John's place, which is weird. (laughs) And why does he have this weird hanger on with him? But... I think he was just in a weird place, like professionally, like mm-hmm. his movies were bombing. He was writing like bad scripts, like on Coke that were just like going nowhere. Uh, and he was trying to get stuff sold at the studios there, which I'm sure the studio people were like, what is up with this fucking guy? Yeah. This strung out maniac <laughs> is coming to pitch us ideas and sure, other people are on drugs, but he's taken a way beyond that yeah. in his current state, it seems like.
1: Yeah. Bob Woodward's like... <laughs> What is this star doing with this
2: ghoul of yeah. a woman? What is, what is Woodward, has Woodward looked in a fucking
0: mirror also? What the fuck does he think he's talking about? <laughs> Speaking of ghouls. <laughs> so Robin Jet's home to, to Penga Canyon. He, he's
2: running home. He's like the fucking roadrunner. <laughs> yeah. Getting out
0: of that situation. And when he got in, he told his wife, Valerie, that you know he'd just been hanging out with Belushi. God, man. He was with this lady. She was tough, scary, and then they went to bed.
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow! Well, it's crazy. His wife is putting up with this stuff. Like, yeah, why didn't you just come home four hours ago yeah. <laughs> instead of hanging out until three in the? Like, if it was a better time, Robin would have come up, come home at five a.m. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> He's basically complaining about having a bad time and not coming home to his wife. Yeah, five A.M. six days later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ooh, ah, ooh, ah, you should have saw this uh broad. no, no. So that, <laughs> that's a good mark. <laughs> <laughs> He's just
1: talking to a fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, that was a family guy thing. There's like, uh, I remember that time I used to be the uh, the jumping off point for Robin Williams riffing. <laughs> <laughs> chair, chair, bear, hair, nair.
0: <laughs> and someone's like,
2: deodorant.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trim your back hair. So then this is in the middle of Morgan and Mindy's final season. So Robin is working the next day. Oh, my God. Really? So he's preparing in his dressing room to go on his morgue. And then when he saw Pam Dauber, he's like, oh, guess what? I was hanging out with uh, Belushi last night. And oh, man, he was looking a little rough. This girl was rough. Yeah. yeah. And The the girl he was with was rougher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, "Okay, whatever. And then later on in the day, she comes into the dressing room and then she sits down and she's like, hey, Robin, I don't know if you heard, but John Belushi's dead. Oof. And I have a clip from the HBO doc come inside my mind that was about Robin Williams of Pam Dauber talking about this.
1: Belushi died in a bungalow at the Chateau Marmont Hotel in Hollywood. Later, Los
2: Angeles police I said I've got
0: something really Are terrible to died? tell you. He said, What? And I said, John Belushi's dead. He died. He ordeed. He went, I was with him last night. And I said, I, I know. because I was with him last night. And I said, I know, Robin know you were and so we just walked together towards our trailers and uh and just before he went into his trailer and and I said I'm going to make me cry mm. I said if that ever happens to you I will find you and kill you first
2: oh my god and he said Dobbs that's never going to happen to me wow well, you could say that. At least he, he he didn't know D at any point. Like I'm sure he was around a lot of it, but he uh I'm sure he reined it in after that.
0: Yeah, he decided that it was time to clean up. Quote, was it a wake up call? Oh yeah, on a huge level. The grand jury helped too because he testified before <laughs> That'll fucking a grand sober jury you up very quickly. Investigating Belushi's death and he did it all voluntarily.
2: But I'm sure he made a deal for immunity at that point for any of the drugs he was taking. Uh, diplomatic immunity, immunity, <laughs> <really>, immunity. <really>, really. <laughs> yeah, eventually if he tried that on the fucking the the DA must would have fucking run rough. Sh- they put him in jail right away. <laughs> Lock him up and
1: beat him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Eat him, beat him, beat him. <laughs> and did Robin clean up his act? but first a word from our sponsor once again this whole broadcast has been brought to you by sand it's
2: everywhere get used to it
0: and did robin clean up his act not really Find out on next week's episode. Oh Oh
2: my god!
0: You're gonna do us like that? What a cliffhanger to
2: leave us on! You fuck! (laughs) I think I'm warmed up now. I think you're. (laughs) (laughs) Forget it. Now we're back. (laughs) Robin, do you ever just talk straight? Yeah. For how long? Hours at a time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can for a long time. Don't like to. I mean, because it's more fun to play.
1: Tune in next week on Death in Entertainment.